Today's show brought to you by Adventures Water Restoration. And I, I blew that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was supposed to be a joke because I come in this morning through the front door and first thing I hear is, Glenn, can you help me? <laughs> hey, and I don't just ask for help. No, she doesn't. She's very independent. <laughs> but well, there was a water leak. And I walked into a room and it was like, this is not good. But like with James Moffat, our recent, um, our last podcast we just did, we have proven that we are resilient. Yes, we are, doggone it. So, pulled up those bootstraps and... Went to work. They were actually like mud boots because it was wet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they weren't really mud boots. No, they were like what sandals. Yeah, I had slip flops on. I had my sneakers, tennis <laughs> shoes, <laughs> sneakers. Who says sneakers anymore? I said something the other day, and the kid, my kids go, "Dad, nobody says that anymore." Oh, well, <laughs> I remember what it was. Well, I do. Well, my husband calls his his recliner an easy chair. What? What decade are you from? I don't even say. That. I know. <laughs> Anyway, we got the mess cleaned up and everything, so I don't remember that happening when we had the old carpet, but it seems like it's happened more. (laughs) At least three times I can think of, maybe if not more. So he was, Glenn was working the shop vac and I got the carpet cleaner and used the extractor and that's how we started our day here. Yeah, but we got it done. We did. You can complain or you can do. We're doers, I guess. Yeah, we are doers. Anyway, on today's show, we were, it was our pleasure to have James Moffat um, on the show. He's truly an inspiration. And I don't say that lightly, but he's done a tremendous job in leading teachers um, through with trauma-informed practices. Yeah, he had a lot of great things to say, so stand by. Adventure Cast starts in. Now. Cast 15, welcome to the show. I'm at Obi1 underscore Glenobi there on Twitter, and as always with me, Calamity Jamie H. And this is episode 15, Jamie. I know, can you believe it? We made it that far, and we're excited because today on the show we have James Moffat with us. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, excited, and honored to be with you guys. Nice. Say, I've been doing some homework on you, you've been doing Uh-oh. some consulting work with us, Dak. <laughs> Um, yes. Trauma-informed schools. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited to be a part of this wonderful group. How did you become a trauma-informed school? Um, I think what makes us, kind of sets us apart is we're just willing to take a risk. You know, like uh, the research is out there. There's people who are learning about it. And, you know, we I went to a training here in 2015 and I got to see Paper Tigers and um, kind of have been able now to call Jim's four leader a friend who's the 
principal highlighted in Paper Tigers. So I reached out to him after a training where I got to watch Paper Tigers and kind of see a Q&A with him and saw people asking some questions. And I remember being really, really excited about that. And I sent him a message on Twitter and said, hey, I want to learn more. And he messaged me back and gave me his phone number. We communicate often now at this point. I, I consider him a, a good friend and um, learned some things from him and just did a lot of research on my own. And I, I just took staff and said, hey, this is the direction we need to go. So I think the only thing that separates us from some other schools is we're willing to just take the plunge and just say, hey, this is what's best for kids. Let's do this. So we're talking about our kids here, but you yeah. saw this as being so important. You weren't afraid to I guess I'd fail. Maybe I don't know if I want to say fail, but um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. And I think that's one risk that you, you take because as with anything, when you try something new, there's always that risk of failure. There's always that, you know, um, just the, the potential that maybe doesn't work out the way you planned it. But I think, you know, one thing I've learned on this journey is you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to do the things that you expect from your kids. And every day when we're at school, we expect kids to step out there and try new things and take risks. Well, I think it was time for us as educators and as a school to take some risk as well. And one thing we tell kids all the time is you learn from your mistakes. And so on our journey, if we would have made a mistake or something would have failed, there happened some things that, you know, we rolled them out, didn't work out the way we wanted to just being able to regroup and say, Hey, like this didn't work out exactly the way I wanted to. Let's try something different and let's roll it back out and see if this is better for kids. But I think when we talk about the why a lot in education, but our why is kids and making sure that we're doing what's best for kids and by kids. Because that's what's the best thing for kids, right? Yeah, I, I fully believe that. Now, one the, one thing that was new, um, I caught a little bit. You're beginning at Bridging to Resilience. Yeah. And you said the beginning of the year you tried something new. Was it this year? Which in, was that? The, in going to the ball game? Yeah, we did that a couple of years ago. Um, and I think that really tied in nicely to what we were doing. We were taking a risk and we, were, we wanted to try something different with our staff. Um, and so like, you know, most staffs, we have the traditional welcome back, like they do like a potluck at somebody's house. Um, and you know, everybody brings a dish and you just kind of hang out and talk. And we said, you know, we're going big, go big or go home. You know, we hear that all the time. And, um, we decided let's do something different. Like that, that kind of gets old. It kind of gets stale. Um, I'm not a baseball fan, but we had a lot of baseball fans that, Hey, there's a Royals game. Let's go to a Royals game. And so for the last couple of years, we've gone to a Royals game. And that first year, especially, I mean, I was, I was humbled I think by the turnout like how many people brought themselves their spouses their family just brought tons of people to just hang out as a school family and just tailgate and go to the game and just socialize and have fun and, you know one thing we talk about a lot with kids is you know when we're building relationships with kids we want to do non-academic things like get to know them for who they are the things that they like the things that they enjoy what are their interests and let's have a conversation about that and I think you know being outside the school setting outside the traditional setting where it's just you know families talking, hanging out, socializing. I think that allowed us to get to know our other staff members um, in a different way, in a different, learn their interests, learn their hobbies, things that they like. And I think that kind of forged some friendships and some relationships amongst staff that are still pretty strong now. Nice. And that's essentially what you want to happen in your schools with your the teachers and their classrooms. Yeah, for sure. Like I need them to, um, you know, one of my first schools, I think I tell teachers all the time is we have to make kids want to be at school. 
you know, because if we're empathetic, we think about us, like there's certain places we don't enjoy going. Like some people don't like going to the dentist. Some people don't like going to the doctor. So when you go to those places and kind of have those barriers up already about like, these aren't places I like, it makes it difficult to form lasting, true, meaningful, positive relationships. So like, I need to break down that first barrier because there's some kids who just don't enjoy school. And so how can I break down that first barrier and make school an enjoyable place for them where they want to be? And I feel like once I I make them want to be there, I can hook them with everything else that we need while they're there at school. So are you saying with your beginning of school, go watch a Royals game, you are creating that for your teachers and then that's the stepping stone for them to build it in their classrooms? I think that helps tremendously. One thing I've learned on this journey is I think there's there's been so many um, unspoken rules, unspoken things that happen in school. And I think one of those unspoken things is um, that the academics are the most important thing. And I'm, I'm never gonna say academics aren't important, but I, I'm definitely a, a culture first person. Like I think I tweeted something out a couple of days ago. I said, you know, effective leaders are the, pers- are the people who focus all their efforts or more of their efforts on culture than they do curriculum. Cause I think that that has to come first. And I think that goes against what a lot of teachers and a lot of principals stand for. And again, I'm not saying the academics aren't important, but what I am saying is I feel like we can dig deeper, delve deeper into the academics if we have strong culture and strong relationships with our kids. Because when we have those strong relationships with kids, they're willing to do anything for us. And I think it's building that level of trust because I, I need us to get to a point where the kids know that this teacher, this principal, this para, this whoever, custodian, lunch lady, whoever, they care about me so much that they will never ask me to do something that they're not going to help me through or that they don't believe that I can be successful in. And so like, if I can get kids to feel that way about the adults that they work with every day, I think they'll, we'll get much further on the academic side. Nice. So you were a young guy and I know you taught before you became the principal there. I did. He had a 10, 10, 10 plan. Yes. Oh, you did your homework. Yeah, we saw that. 10, 10, 10. That's from, that's, that's from an article from like, man, that was like four years ago. I did an article for the Derby Informer when I got this job. And I said, yeah, I kind of had a, a 10, 10. It's funny you say that because it was 10, 10, 10. I wanted to teach for 10 years, be a principal for 10 years, and then get into district admin for 10 years. So I actually interviewed for Derby Hills after nine years of teaching. And a lot of people don't know this. I interviewed for Derby Hills twice. And the first year I didn't get the job. And it was funny because I already had that 10, 10, 10 goal in my mind. And I went back and I said, maybe I, I hurt myself because I didn't, I hadn't taught for 10 years. And so I came back and I taught one more year. They got me to my 10 years. The job came open again and I interviewed again and I got the job at that point. So it's kind of interesting. So I did have a 10, 10, 10 plan. So I taught 10 years, four, two years of kindergarten, two years of first grade, six years of fifth grade. So you have a large gambit of experience there. I think that's been helpful. And I got to coach some sports too. I coached some middle school sports and I got to, you know, work on building relationships with kids at that level as well. And yeah, a student taught in fourth grade. So I think that helped. Nice. Now this path that you're on uh, with Derby Hills, the, the mentality, was it always there or were you that one teacher when you taught like academics is most important, everything. And then no, the I think light I, went off one day or. Yeah, there's been a shift in me as well. Like, I think I've always been a relationship guy as well. Like, I've I've always seen the importance of relationships. 
But now it's like, I think it's Maya Angelou who has the quote out there that says, you know, when you know better, you do better. And so now as I've learned some things, I've realized I need to throw more of my eggs in the relationship side. And um, I was, I was probably 50, 50 as a teacher, 50, 50% relationship, 50% academics. Um, And I got me, I was, I was very successful at that and kids worked hard and, you know, we talk about state assessments, all the other measures that teachers are, are measured by. Like we did really, really well in all the districts that I was in. Um, now I'm probably, I want to say like 70, 30, like 70 relationships and 30 academics because I understand. And, and this goes way back to what you learn in school. We talk about Maslow a lot. And I think it's that one thing that we learn in school and then we get into the actual workforce and we kind of forget about it and we push it aside. If you go back to Maslow, he talks so much about the those basic needs having to come first before you can get to the higher level, higher level thinking, the self-accusation, all those things, like those basic needs had to come first. And so like now I, I think as an administrator, it's kind of forced me to take a step back and kind of see that those basic needs are met first. And one of those true basic needs is a strong relationship. And I think one of the most of things, one of the things I'm excited most about right now is the actual research that's out there right now that kind of cements everything that I believed in for a while, that relationships are truly the most important part. And so the actual research that says it takes one caring adult, that's all it takes. And that one caring adult, a true, meaningful, positive relationship with one caring adult is all a kid needs to get to that resilient stage where they can overcome all those ACEs or traumatic events that have happened to them before. So it's amazing to know that and now have research that backs that up. And I think it's kind of forced us as educators to get past the point because I think we make a lot of excuses like, oh, their home life is this or their their past experiences are this. And it's going to be really hard to reach them because of what they've experienced in life. And, you know, those things are true to an extent, but they can't be the excuse that stops us from attempting. And I think sometimes we we haven't made the attempt because our excuses are so great. And I think the research out there right now says like, hey, no matter what they've been through, I'm gonna I'm gonna forge this relationship with them. And if this, I can be the one caring adult that can cause neuroplasticity, which is another, it's a big word, but basically it's saying, you know, their brain's been wired a certain way for the first however many years of their life. But that one caring adult can be the person that rewires their brain and causes it to be a, a healthy brain so they can be successful. I think that's so exciting to, to know that. Now, if they follow you on, on Twitter, then yep. they know that you are in the classroom all the time. Love to be, that's where I have Every to be. Every day they can find you in the classroom. Yeah, for sure. And I think that goes back to, you know, we had to make this shift because like, I feel like most administrators in most schools are very reactive and we wanna to work to be proactive. Like, what can I do to build those relationships so those behaviors aren't always happening constantly and I have to just react to behaviors and deal with behaviors all day long? My goal is I love instruction. I love being a teacher. And so I want to be a teacher now. And so, like, how can I help teachers be better equipped so they can deal with some of that day-to-day behaviors so that I can be more of an instructional leader? And so my goal, I try. I'm I'm not successful with it every day, but my goal most days is to be in every single classroom every day. We have 24, 25 classrooms at Derby Hills this year. So my goal going into this year is to be in all 25 classrooms every day. And um, I have teachers that do a really good job of saying, hey, we have this special activity. We have this event going on. We're going to Skype. We're going to do something special. Like, can you come in at this time? And um, they also know I'm very forgetful. So I'll say, hey, send me an email so I can put it on my calendar. 
because I am connected to my phone. I'm connected to Twitter all the time. And so like, if I, if that um, alarm goes off and says, hey, go to this teacher's classroom because they're Skyping with so-and-so, I want to do my best to be there if I can. Because I need kids to see that I'm not just the bad person who sits in the office and waits on them to mess up to have a relationship with them. I want to have a relationship on the front end, a positive relationship, because there's going to be times when kids mess up and kids make mistakes. We all do, not just them, we all do. And so in those times, I feel like I need to make those times where they make a mistake a teachable moment. And it's it's more likely to be a teachable moment if they have a relationship with me where they understand I'm not just out to get them, I'm out to help them become a better person. Uh-huh. Nice. I love how you say that yes. because it's, it's so true. Cause I'm, I'm sitting here going, Oh, what does it look like when I watch walk down to, Oh, I got in trouble and Mr. Mr. Moffat's office. Cause yeah. I, yeah. And do you see, you don't have to discipline. I, I don't even know if that's a good word for it, but how, what does your redirection look like? Or what does your little reset? What, what are the terms you use with the kids? We talk about redirection. A lot of times we do morning announcements every day. We talk a lot about bounce back. What's your bounce back? Like what's your, you know, we talk about how successful people have good bounce back. They're able to bounce back after frustration, after failure, after something doesn't go their way. What's their bounce back? And so for me, my, my mentality has changed. So when something happens, there's a misbehavior, somebody's coming to the office. First of all, I want to make sure that we're both calm. We're both in a state where we're able to have a conversation where we can talk about what's gone wrong and how can we improve it? How can we make it better? And I think that's something that's changed. That's something that's a shift because I remember being as a teacher and as an educator, I remember the, we talk all the time about ABC charts, antecedent behavior consequence. And that's kind of the the method. We go all the way back to Skinner and all those other people that we know about. Those are the things that we talked about. And we've always been taught that the consequence has to happen as close to the behavior as possible because that's the only way that's going to make it meaningful because we wait too long. Kids aren't going to remember it and all those things that we've been taught. And so my mentality has shifted to say, hey, that's not what I truly believe. What I truly believe is like when something happens, I need to make sure that that student is calm. But I also need to make sure that I'm calm because as educators, we can get riled up sometimes too. But if we're both calm, we're able to have a, a civil, very civil conversation like, hey, this is what's happened. And a lot of times I find myself asking them questions because if a kid comes to me, most of the time they have severed a relationship with a, co- with a peer or with a teacher or a staff member. So now the focus of my conversation with them is what are they going to do? What are they willing to do to repair that relationship? because that's where it all goes back to relationship. What are you going to do to repair that relationship? I can give them 10 or 15 things to do. And sometimes we work with things collaboratively together to come up with how are you going to repair the relationship? But ultimately, I kind of want to get to that point where they calm themselves, can think clearly, so that cognitively they can think about what are they going to do to repair that relationship with that peer or with that staff. So when you're looking at new hires, because you have highlighted every new hire that you've yeah. been a part of, you've hired that yeah. um, you've highlighted them on Twitter. Um, what are your processes with getting them up to speed with yeah. where you're going as a school, where you've been, and how do you deal with the the current teachers as well? well I think, that, yeah, I think the first thing that has changed is our interview questions have changed quite a bit. I think like as a first year, second year administrator, my, my interview questions were very academic in nature. And I think what I've, as I've gone through this process, I've, I've begun to understand, you know what, I can help somebody instructionally, 
I can help somebody become a better teacher in that regard. But what I really need is kid or, or teachers or, or people who have a true passion for doing what's best for kids. So our interview questions have shifted to like, you know, like, let's talk about empathy. Let's talk about, you know, what do you want kids to remember about you? Or what if like, if, if kids had to pay to come to your class, would they pay? Do they want to be there? Like, in those types of things like those are hard questions yeah, yeah like, what do, do kids want to be with you like that's important i can help with the other part i can help and there's other you know there's great teachers in the building that can make you better instructionally but i can't make you empathetic really i mean that's that's a hard skill to teach like we te- we try to teach kids to be empathetic but as an adult like not only is it a hard skill to teach but it's really not a skill that i want to spend my time doing teaching to be empathetic you know i'd rather spend my time teaching to be a better instructor and so when it comes to the trauma-informed part, we started boot camp a couple of years ago. And really, we have people come to boot camp from all over the state. We have people come from out of state and boot camps usually happen on a Saturday. It's a whole day training about trauma-informed practices. And we, have, like I said, we have people come from all over the state, but really it started as a way to get our new hires up to speed. Like we're gonna have this quick training because we want you to understand where we are, the direction we're going, and then we, and it's free for them, but we also opened it up to other people around the state and said, hey, we're doing this training anyway. If this is the direction that you wanna go, you should come hang out with us on a Saturday and we'll give you all the training, you know, kind of the beginning processes of what we did when we became a trauma-informed school. How do you inform the parents? Because um, I think that's the one area Kansans can, I mean, it's all about building yeah. community. I think it's the one area that we're, we're working to improve on. Like, I, I think we could, should do a better job of that. Like this summer, my goal is to work on the kind of a, a informal handout that I can pass out to parents at enrollment next year and kind of say like, we're a trauma-informed school. This is what this entails. Because one thing I've noticed is this kind of goes against everything that teachers know, um, but it's all, it also goes against what our parents experienced when they were in school. So sometimes there's some disconnect there and we hear people, oh, you're not, you're not um, preparing our students to be successful because you're just babying them. You're not, you're not, you're not coming down with a hammer and just getting on them. And I think it takes some teaching for parents as well. So this summer I have been working on a uh, kind of like a flyer or a handout that we'll make sure we'll post on social media, but we'll also pass out to parents. So parents have that understanding as well. Because you've often said that trauma is not poverty. And we have that misconception that only those poor kids Mm -hmm. are. I think because uh, there's so many like divorces, the traumatic experience, Um, lots of our parents, we have some that are military. So just a a parent who gets, you know, deployed, that's a traumatic experience. If If I'm a kid who's used to both my parents being there when I get home from school, and now you're telling me that mom or dad's gonna be deployed for six months to a year, that's, that's traumatic. That's hard for a kid to, you know, to, to deal with. And so those trauma is not always linked to poverty. Lots of times it is, but it's not always linked to poverty. And I think, you know, at the beginning we had some teachers who that was their mentality who said like, that doesn't apply to us. That's not what our kids go through. Well, it is. They, 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 maybe the experiences are a little bit different, but they're still traumatic. If you go through that ACEs study that we talk about so much, and you think back to where that was founded, that was the population that was, 17,000 people, 70% Caucasian, 70% college educated, so it's not linked to poverty. And those, you know, those, those demographics almost parallel the demographic with our school. And so I think that was a, one thing that I had to say, you know, this study that was done, it almost mirrors the demographics of our school. So this is relevant to us. This is relevant to everybody. 
Have you had your teachers themselves do the ACE? Yeah, we do. Um, so when we did the original training, they did some ACEs and we'll do it again at boot camp for our new teachers that come in. I think that helps begin to get them to understand because when I we talk about ACEs and we talk about your ACE score, like I don't ever want to have that conversation without talking about your resiliency score because I know for us, when we have a room full of educators, we're successful. A room full of educators are successful people. So I need them, I don't want them to ever think, you know, that kid has high ACEs, so I don't have great expectations for them. Because I still want us to have high, strong, meaningful expectations for our kids who have lots of aces, but then we're going to have to build up the resilience before we can get there. How do you do that? Uh, that's a that's a question. So we we do a really good job. We have some interventions in place in classrooms. Um, we're just really teaching kids what are their coping skills that when they feel overwhelmed, when they feel anxious, when they feel nervous, rather than just give up here's a, a toolkit of things that you can do. So whether it be going to the peace corner to regulate yourself, whether it be doing mindfulness, which we do every day, um, whether it be zones of regulation where you can be, begin to vocalize how you're feeling or why you're feeling that way, those are all things that we offer at school so kids begin to fill their toolkit up. So when they are out in the real world, because we all do it, like we may not have a peace corner that I go to in my, my house where I feel overwhelmed, I feel nervous, I feel sad, but I know for me, there's things that I, when I'm upset, there's things that I do. And that's kind of like my makeshift peace corner. So we're teaching kids like when you're upset, when you're angry, because one thing we have to make sure we do is tell them that no emotion is wrong. Emotions aren't wrong. It's how we handle that emotion that can make or break the situation. So yeah, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm sad, I'm whatever, whatever the emotion is, now what? What do I do with that? What do I do with that feeling now? I could shut down and and yell at people and get upset and throw things, or I could do something else to help me cope to overcome that so I can make this a productive time or a successful time. Well, do you have advice for a principal out there who's thinking of going in this direction? Yeah, it's going to suck for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least you're honest. But it's a shift, and I think anytime. If you think back to your classroom as a teacher, like when you make a shift in like a behavioral strategy, there's always that spike in behavior because it's something different. And I think so now multiply that times however many classrooms you have in your school. So when we made the initial shift, there was a spike in behavior. And there's so many times I would say, why am I doing this? This is not, I, let's just revert back. And so one, one piece of advice is no, beforehand, there are going to be resistors. There's going to be people who think it's not the right thing to do. And the other piece of advice is make sure you're surrounding your, yourself with a PLN, a professional learning network of people who are like-minded because you're going to have to bounce ideas off of somebody. Speaking of which, of networking here, uh, you, Tamara Comradi, Rebecca Lewis Pankratz, getting ready to do a uh, coaching clinic here it is yeah. next week yeah a week away so next Wednesday I'll be there Thursday Friday but it, the conference itself is next Wednesday Thursday Friday right. and so I think that's the goal is like to create these networks of people and, I, and it's a great opportunity I, I wish when we started our journey there was no trauma-informed coaches around it's kind of on our own to, to go this direction so I wish I would have had something like this where you can I mean Jim's sport leader he's he's an idol he's a, he's somebody I idolize and I look up to and I've learned an immense amount from. So to have people in the room that you can learn from, get information from, ask questions from, but then even after that for a year, a year's worth of time, be able to follow up with and say, hey, I did this, this is the feedback I got, this is the response I get, how should I 
how should I come back and respond? So just to have somebody on hand to coach you through the process. So, I mean, the way this works is districts or schools can send two people who are going to become their resilience coaches who we're going to do our best to pour into everything that we know. And we want to be able to, to have them go back and do these things in their building. Because you know what? There's so many schools in Kansas and across the country who need to move this direction. And there's not enough of Jim, Tam, or Rebecca, or myself to get to all those schools all the time. So we're really trying to equip individuals in those spaces to take this back to do with the people in their schools. What has, uh, I'm looking at your Twitter feed right now. Yeah. How has social media, how has Twitter helped in your career? How has social media helped? Yeah, like Twitter, because we have teachers come in today who are like, Twitter, I don't need to be on there. So for me, Twitter has been a lifeline just to connect with other like-minded people, either administrators or teachers. Um, I've strongly encouraged teachers to get on. Actually, when I hire a new teacher, that's one of my first things I say, like, you know, connect with us on Facebook because we have a Derby Hills Facebook page. And I also say, I can't make you get a Twitter handle, but I encourage you to get on Twitter. And here's our hashtag. I encourage you to follow other people who are doing the things that we're doing. That's one of the things I strongly recommend. And honestly, every year, most of my new teachers get on there right away. Um, I know for me, I hired a teacher last week. And one of the first things I said that day was, hey, get on Twitter, get on Facebook. By the time I woke up the next morning, she already had a Twitter account. And she added me and added other people in, in DHE family, added other people in NASDAQ that I recommended that she add. So that was exciting to see. And it was the one way I connected with Jim Sporleader right away. I saw him at that conference and I, I liked what he had to say. And so I literally added him on Twitter, sent him a direct message and say, hey, I want to learn more. And um, he gave me his phone number and I connected with him that way. And that was awesome. So um, it really is a good way. I encourage people to um, participate in Twitter chats. Um, it's just a fantastic way just to learn new things. I posted something yesterday that talked about an instructional strategy that I, it was just a, a quick picture, honestly, that it was something that we're really telling for me. Um, and I shared it out with our, with our school and I used our hashtag and it's been cool to wake up and see, you know, other teachers at school tweet that out. I literally tweeted it out yesterday afternoon and it already has like 56 retweets. I mean, so like, it's really already just grown and grown and grown. So it's just an incredible way to share and collaborate. So how do you balance that relationship online and those mm-hmm. relationships that are personal, your daily relationships? Because in our daily life, we should have a balance of those things. Yeah. Um, like I said, in those visits to classrooms, like one, I'm not just there to see the kids. I'm there to check in with teachers as well and kind of see, you know, how, how are you doing today? How are things going? Do you need anything from me? Uh, that's that personal connection. Um, online, there's people that I'll probably never meet, but there's also people that I've met online that I get to meet face-to-face at conferences. It's really, really cool to, you know, put a face with the conversation that we've had online. Um, I think, you know, balance is probably the one thing I will say that I, I struggle with. I struggle with balance. Like, I think a lot of educators, a lot of administrators especially struggle with balance because, you know, you have this machine and I, I think work is this machine. School's a machine that you're trying to further get further along in a positive direction and you want to keep it going in the right direction so it, it is a struggle but I think any time you can have a personal conversation I always prioritize that over a, a social media conversation I like that you said you actually got Jim's number and you actually got to call him and talk yeah. to him so it wasn't just a Twitter connection you made no. a very personal connection yeah and I think man that's to man the- voice to voice 
Yes. And I think that's the one thing like I, I respect about him so much is his personableness and his willingness. He's humble to, to help others. And at that point, I was I got in this job when I was 30 years old. I was probably 32 years old. My first year as an administrator, literally my first year as an administrator. And he didn't have to message me back. Like, he, had, I mean, I was nobody. Like, I'm still, in my mind, I'm still nobody. So, like, for him to message me back and give me his phone number, that was that was the ultimate sign of just humbleness and just, just you know, kindness. And so we, we chat, probably talk at least every other week. Uh, we email, especially as we're gear, gearing up for next week, we've talked quite a bit and done some Zoom conversations and Skype conversations. But, um, yeah, I think it's just been, he's just so humble and so kind. And I've learned a great deal from him. Every time I'm at a, I'm at a conference where he's speaking, I don't care if it's a session that I've seen four or five times, I go in that room and I learn something else. Uh-huh. Well, James, I told you 15 minutes and my recorder says we're closing in on 30. So, oh. <laughs> Jamie, do you have no, anything no. else? Oh no, we'll we'll be talking to him again. I know it. Yes, we'll yes. Need to, we'll need to recap after the conference next week. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, so uh, definitely we need to have you back on the show. But uh, for those people out there who maybe would like to connect with you, uh, yep. what's your handle on Twitter? How can they how can they contact you? I am at D H E for Derby Hills Elementary Principal on Twitter. No space. Everything's just together. Um, I will say I have, a, I have a wager with a friend right now to get to 27 followers by August 1st. So if you're listening to this, find me on Twitter and follow me so I can win that bet. Um, <laughs> we'll do our best to get you there. I would encourage you. Our hashtag is um, hashtag DHE family. Follow us there so you can see other teachers in our building and kind of the, the conversation that we have back and forth. And then on Facebook, it's just Derby Hills Elementary School. And you can kind of see we try to do our best to post the things that are happening at school and that's a good way for you to kind of see what we're about. All right. Well, James, thanks for your time. It was a huge pleasure for us to, to have you on. We look forward to seeing you next week. In right. We'll have the, you in studio. Yeah. For the, All right. That's right. That'd be cool. Yeah. So have a good day. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. All right. And we appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Catch us at esdeck.org forward slash your stories or iTunes or Jamie's favorite iHeartRadio talk to you later